to Founders Talk, episode number 45. I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This show features in-depth, one-on-one conversations with founders. You can tune in live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on 5x5. And today I'm joined by Dalton Caldwell, the founder of App.net. Welcome back to the show, Dalton. Hi, uh, thanks for having me back, Adam. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a little bit, right? A couple weeks? Yeah, maybe maybe like four weeks or so. But yeah, it's been Something a little while. Like that. Well, the, the last show, so the reason why we had you back from this the part one, so if, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. There's a lot of insight into Dalton's story. Um, but we Dalton, we pretty much talked pretty much everywhere in between uh, App.net. We didn't actually talk about your story of App.net, how it became, um, you know, your influences, how you built the team, money raised, pricing model. I mean, none of those stuff that we talk about. So I wanted to, to kind of glean into this. But from what I understand, between the last time you're on the show and this time, you got some pretty cool news from from uh, the Y Combinator team. You were joined as a you joined as a part time partner. From what I understand, yeah, that's correct. Um, I uh, I've known the Y Combinator folks for a while. Um, I spoke at startup school. Um, probably two years ago, which was, which was pretty cool. I think that's the largest crowd I've ever spoken in front of. How Um, big? Thousand in person. Plus it was recorded. Um, and so like, I I didn't, I I didn't find the recording. I was looking for it. Uh, it's on, it's on TechCrunch. Uh, I could, I could send you a link, but it was funny. Like my speaking slot was, uh, after (laughs) Adam D'Angelo and before Mark Zuckerberg. So that was who I, I was the, I was the opening act there on startup school that day. So it was, it was a, it was memorable for me um, of just, again, like speaking to that many people. Uh, right. And it was just, it was like standing room only. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was probably two years ago. Um, and so I've, I've known um, Y Combinator for a while. They do these things where they have dinners for the founders, where they have people come speak. So I've, I've gone to speak a number of times just as, a, you know, as like a resource. Um, and so, yeah, it seems like uh, PG has been trying to expand the resources that are available and including um, people that are still, you know, have full-time jobs and are currently running companies like, like myself, just having them, yeah. having people as a resource for people that are in the batch uh, in the community. It's, um, you know, it, that's, that's the idea behind bringing on a few people uh, like myself as part-time partners. As, a, as I understand, it was a hard time, uh, kind of a, not a hard decision to make, but hard to say yes because of, you know, your needs at, at app.net and the time constraints that puts on you what was what was the reason why you really chose to do that was it yeah you said I, you said pg so for those who aren't in the valley that's paul graham sorry i mean and that's his username too so i don't mean to say, it's just <laughs> it's some people you know better by their initials than uh right. than their than their name yes but uh, look i i had a pretty serious uh conversation with paul where i was like look this is this is really great and i'm really appreciative um um i just want to make sure that I can see how this would be beneficial to the work that I'm um, doing with app.net because a lot of what we're doing is, is talking to third-party developers and working with people um, to make them successful. So the last thing I would want to do is uh, inadvertently signal that I'm doing a bunch of um, you know, random crap that's a distraction or whatever. Right. Uh, and, and the fact is the, the way that I thought about it, and I, I wrote a blog post about this, is that um, – the more I can understand who my users are, like, so the main thing, the main thing that PG tells people in Y Combinator is like, go to your users, talk to your users, build what people want, 
the more time you spend with people that are using your products and are going to make you successful, that's the only thing you should be doing, right? That's yeah. like, that's his philosophy. So the, the people that are going to make app.net successful from a developer perspective are the kind of people that are in Y Combinator, <laughs> right? It's, uh, yeah, it's the hackers, the ones that are tinkering, the ones that are figuring things out. And yeah, it's, it's the people that are trying to build the next big thing and that are yeah. the, the issues of social platforms, the issues of platform risk, the issues of, um, having a tiny team and needing to leverage off the shelf stuff. Right. Um, right. so it's, it's all people that are resource constrained and time constrained trying to like do something, uh, meaningful. And so the reality is, um, a lot of the people that are going through it, uh, happen to be people that I would very much like to see, um, app.net integrate somehow into what it is they're building. And so I told PG, I'm like, Hey man, like, just so you know, like I'm, I'm certainly going to, uh, you know, uh, talk to people about this. So I hope it doesn't sound too salesy or anything, but, um, you know, they, that's, that certainly would be helpful for the work that I'm doing. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, <laughs> people will do, they'll, they'll make their own decision anyway about, about what they choose to use. Um, so, so anyway, so that was the fact that the people that are going through white combinator also happen to be people that are incredibly important for, um, for the success and long-term vision of app.net, that to me seemed pretty, um, uh, it seemed like a good idea. And also it keeps me honest <laughs> for the people that choose not to do it or they don't get it. Um, so it's, it's good to get that in-person feedback that I may not get uh, elsewhere. What, uh, what is it like working with Paul Graham, I guess? Cause he's a funny guy. Uh, is he a funny guy? I, I like Paul a lot in that, look, there's a lot of people who are, you read, you read the writings or you, or you read interviews with them. And sometimes the person, the human being that you meet isn't the same. Um, and what I like about Paul Graham is he's exactly as sincere and earnest as his writing is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you know, yeah. do you, have you read his stuff? Like, no, absolutely. Yeah. So he's exactly like his writing, right? He's a very earnest, sincere, straightforward guy. Like I, and that's rare, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, so he's exactly like his writing, <laughs> you know, I don't know if that, so that, that's how I would describe, you know, so he's very, he's, everything is very black and white to him. Um, things are either good or they're bad. He has, uh, uh, very strong opinions and he's incredibly optimistic. That's good trace to have, I suppose. Right. I think so. I'm just like, that's, that is. That is how I would summarize them. Um, what uh, so I guess working with Y Combinator and, and doing this, what does it look like day to day for you or week to week? I suppose how how much of a commitment is this? I'm just kind of curious about what this means for you and how much you're going to be away from App.net. And uh, sure, so I think it's going to be something like two or three hours a week where I schedule office hours, um, and it's kind of like if you you know like in college or in grad school where you have office hours where right. you can book them. Like if you want to go talk to someone, you go, but they don't find you. <laughs> um, so if someone wants to come talk to me during my office hours, um, a, a startup can just book time and talk about whatever it is they want to talk about, and they're like thirty minute blocks. Um, and is it like a is a list long now, or is it pre scheduling? Or I I get to book the hours whenever I want to put them up. Like whenever nice. I have time. So it's pretty flexible. Uh, so whenever I have time, I just say, okay, I have some office hours and then people can log in and book them. Um, and that's, 
the extent of it, right? Uh, I'm definitely uh, on email for things that people want to talk about. Um, and then there's the dinners and things like that. But that's, that's about it. Uh, it's not, again, this is what I had a ton of questions about before yeah. I accepted it. It was uh, what exactly the time commitment would be. Um, so it's mainly that the part-time folks like myself are just, we're just a resource in case someone really wants to talk about software platforms or they want to talk about iOS development or things like that. Um, you know, I'm, we're a resource available for them, uh, to them. It's, it's very different than as if I actually worked at Y Combinator, like, like PG does. Gotcha. So I, I guess since the last show, we kind of got quite a history of you and, and whatnot. We quite didn't get deeply into your history of app.net and it's about a two year history, right? Yeah, that's right. Give um, or take. Yeah. I mean, to me, everything blurs together. So it's all part of the same story, right? I like, it's my life, right? So everything seems linear and it all right. seems together, but I guess you could say two years is also a fair, a fair assessment. <laughs> um, I guess the first question I have, I guess, um, around, I guess around this, which is more of a random question and a, and a funny question than a, a true question, but do you use Twitter? Yeah, I don't. I haven't been the past few months. And I've also haven't really been using Facebook or Google Plus that much. I mean, I log in once in a while just to see what's going on. But if you just think about time spent per day, I probably spend, um, you know, more time than I should inside my email client, <laughs> just like all of us do. And if there's anything that's not email I'm going to be using, it's, it's stuff related to app.net. And so I've really cut down my usage of pretty much everything. Like I was using Pinterest a bunch last year. You know, like I go, I go through phases. Also, I used to be like the world's number one Google reader person. Like I was oh, really, re- oh man, I, I spent so much time in Google reader and I could, so compl- right? I dropped, well, I dropped it cold once I dropped it cold about nine months ago. Cause I just didn't have the time. It was right. It was honestly right. Uh, about when we started app.net and when I started blogging more, I couldn't find time like I, I just had to like do a serious rethink of what I was spending my time on a day to day basis. So I, I dropped Google yeah. reader. Um, so yeah, my, my information consumption habits are quite different than they were, um, honestly across the board. And I think it's, I think it's made me more productive to be honest. And for those of you listening, since Dalton, you mentioned blogging, you can actually follow blo- uh, Dalton's blog at his name.com. So Dalton So that's, that's correct. Uh, I was trying to get it to about a post every week or every two weeks, and I've been I've been a, a bit slower, uh, but I'm hope you know, I'm I always it's funny I write I don't know if you do this or other people do this, but I'll probably have three posts that I write and decide suck and don't publish for every one <laughs> that I actually publish. Do you do yeah. that? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, so there's I have I've written a bunch of stuff that I've never published the past few months, um, so. Take I'm more that. of a broadcaster too than a pod, uh, than a than a writer. I mean, I like to write and I enjoy writing, but for me, I uh, it takes me longer to write than it does, I guess, to speak. So I, I, yeah. I favor broadcasting, podcasting than writing. Sure, yeah, I, a, think. I guess a bad habit, huh? You know, it just depends. I, I definitely think that again. Like since I've been podcasting, since we've had the uh, App.net one, and I've been doing, I've been on a guest on more shows. That's also you know, cut into the time I would have been blogging. Uh, yeah, you're getting otherwise. some practice. Yeah, I've been doing uh, a lot I'm glad of these. you mentioned that because I, I didn't realize in, literally until minutes before the show that you guys have a podcast. Yes, we do. I had no idea. So what, what are some of the content you talk about on that show? So it's, it's definitely uh, inside baseball, right? It's not meant to be entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we really dig down deep 
um, about everything that's going on inside of uh, app.net um, on, you know, a biweekly basis or so. And it's m- myself and um, my co-founder is on most of them. And we, we answer questions from people. We talk about new API features. Um, we talk about, you know, what this all means. <laughs> we talk about new apps that came out. We talk about app ideas. So it's, you know, it's not something that we expect to be entertainment and to get listened to by, by tons and tons of people. But if you're interested in hearing what's going on inside of our heads, if you want to hear, you know, from the horse's mouth, um, how we think about things, it's been a pretty valuable resource for, for, for people that are trying to keep up to speed on things. You know, um, I didn't realize that was the content, but now that I hear that, it reminds me of something I was pitching when I got, I guess, into podcasting a long time ago. I was, I was thinking like every business should podcast. It's crazy because, uh, it's such a – I mean if somebody is your fan and they want to know about you, the easiest way to put that out would be into some sort of short, somewhat short consumable audio or you know blogs. That's pretty popular. But um, I think a lot more businesses should, should do that. What, uh, what's some of the benefits that you've seen from doing this? So, so this, is a, this is an interesting question. Um, everyone in the Valley remembers podcasting from like 0506. Right. Like that was when I first met like Biz, okay? It was when it was when they were doing Odeo. And podcasting was supposed to be the next big thing and then Apple launched their podcast directory and it nuked every startup, right? Like it was bad. It was like a bloodbath. And there was like there was a startup remember Podtech, like John yes. Furrier's thing. So mm-hmm. and that they had Scoble work there. You know, like it was Scoble was like what was he the head? I don't know. But like podcasting was like the big thing in 2005 and when it cratered it honestly got a really bad rap in the valley as like this promise that never really took shape and so when i tell people around here that like that i spend a lot of time uh <laughs> podcasting they right. look at me like I, you're I weird even, yeah they i might yeah i might as well say like i like surf the web on my amiga or something like i don't know <laughs> like it's like I'm like, no, man, like there really are these people and there's a lot of tech podcasts and, you know, I talk about five by five and I try, you know, I'm, I try to like explain the whole thing to them and like no one's heard of any of this. And this is just like this other data point about the Silicon Valley bubble uh, or the tech bubble. And I don't mean in terms of financial bubble. I mean, like if you don't know about it, Seclusion. it's stupid, right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if, if you, if your next door neighbor or if your daughter or son, you know, don't know about it. Right. Like that's how everyone in Silicon Valley knows what's cool is what their kids tell them. So everyone thinks Snapchat is cool because their kids use it. Right. (laughs) So unless they've heard about it, they they assume that it's like a total waste of time. And uh, so anyway, so that's my long winded way of saying that I don't think people realize how many podcast listeners there are and how powerful the medium is. Uh, And the only reason I kind of drank the Kool-Aid myself is that I saw um, all the discussion about app.net on podcasts, like yeah. start to trickle out like six months ago, seven months ago, eight months ago. And I'm like, who are these people? Where did this come from? And like, I get it now. Right. Like I did, like I had to, I had to like see it myself to appreciate the power of the medium. And, and just, it's not like a large audience in terms of millions of people that listen to them, but it's a lot like AM radio where if, if someone's willing to spend the time with you to listen to you, they're going to really understand what you're saying in a way that they may not um, 
if they're just reading some stupid TechCrunch article about you or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's a very captive audience. Very yeah. captive. And you're going to learn a lot more. It's a, to me, it's an audience that wants to learn and that wants to hear more in-depth uh, thinking behind things. And so you end up with a much uh, – people understand things way better once they've been discussed on a podcast than, again, like the drive-by BS that goes on in most tech news, right? Like the headline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so I've, really, I've really come to respect the medium as a means for, um, for more in-depth communications. And I would agree with you that I think more people should do it. It's like, you know, like I know the guys that run Stripe and, and other developer-focused things like that. And I don't think they realize that podcasting is even a thing. Like I could go tell them, hey, you should probably do a podcast. And I, I, I think they would think I was crazy. So let me ask you a question. Just a hypothetical question. What, what do you think would happen if somebody made it easier for more people to do it? I think the production side is actually quite easy. I think it's that you have to prove the ROI from a numbers perspective Right. Like, so think about how much the social media marketing is snake oil. <laughs> yeah. I think that you put stuff into iTunes and you don't know how many people actually listen to it. And I guess you can kind of track downloads. But like, you know what I'm trying to, like the, I think the issue is that no one knows, like, it's kind of hard to track how valuable it is to your business versus yeah. your time. I don't think, the, basically, I'm saying, I don't think production is the difficulty. Right. Yeah, it's the distribution. Well, not so much even the distribution. It's, it's the um, it's knowing what's what's yeah. happening. Once it's, you put it into the ether, what goes on? Yeah, is anyone listening to this? Right. <laughs> right, like that's. I think that's what the big barrier is. And again, from the people that are skeptical, they remember podcasting is podcasting was supposed to be the next big thing, right? In oh five oh six, and I think people were like, ah, eh, no one listens to podcasts, right? And remember, like you know, we had revision three that was more video. Right, um, you had the. What was the VJ guy, the XMTV VJ who had a podcast company? Um, I'm not sure of that one, but some Adam of the- Adam Curry's well, company. That's uh, right, yeah. Well, he claims to have invented it, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're still around. Like, I remember those guys. So, like, yeah. people just, I think the, the conventional wisdom is that the audience is not large enough. And even if you had an audience, it's hard to know that they're listening to it. So, yeah. I mean, we're kind of on a tangent here. I just, I think it's not production being the thing that slows people down. That's interesting, though. I'm, I'm, I was uh, surprised. Well, not so much surprised, but it was nice to hear about your take on what you're doing with your podcast and the reasons why you're doing it. Because I think that's like that's really a, like Thoughtbot's doing this. If you're a fan of uh, uh, Thoughtbot and those guys, they do. They've been running their podcast for a very long time as well, and it's it's about their you know the business of software, which is what they're in that business. So yep. it makes sense to talk about that business. It's a, a level of authenticity. It's a level of authority. You know, you become authoritative around uh, whatever your niche is. And in your case, it's, you know, you know, apps and social platforms and that thing. And you're talking about not so much, you know, what to do right, but how you're doing it right. And why, why I thought that matters and why they should matter to the listener. Right. And I don't expect a lot of people to listen to it, but that's okay. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah, I, it's I mean, a resource. Yeah, your expectations are set based on yeah. Your your happiness, well, your measure of success is based on the right people listening to it, not how many are listening to it. Right. If 100 people listen to it, but they really get it, and it's a it's a much more powerful medium to communicate to them through uh, versus other ones, then it's totally worth our time, you know? Yeah. And that's and that's uh, that's why I believe in it as much as I do. Nice. I'm well, I'm glad to hear that, man. I mean, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I'm I'm sure the listeners are fine with that. So, let's since we're talking about uh 
uh, app.net. Now let's, let's dive deep. So when you describe app.net, and I know you probably said this a thousand times, but just for the listener's sake who may not be familiar with app.net, what do you say in terms of this is what you are? Well, I, de- I describe it as a social platform. Um, uh, I think the, the one-sentence description on our website right now is, is app.net is your passport to great social applications. Um, and so, yeah, the, it, at its core, um, it's, it's a social platform. What do you mean by that? Because I was kind of curious when it said that your is your passport to great applications. Because that's yep. not the way Twitter's pitched. And I know you get compared a lot, and you even have some roots that come from your – uh, like for Twitter and all that good stuff, but you know what? What does that mean? Access to great applications. Sure. So the the reason that we're um, using that terminology is that from a developer perspective, the reason why you would want to build something on App.net is to use to use a social platform, and there's benefits of that we can talk about in a second. And the consumer benefit um, to having an App.net account is that there's all of these cool applications you may want to use. <laughs> and if you happen to have an app.net account, you can use them, right? right. And so Passport is a metaphor. We, we spent months trying to think of a, an appropriate metaphor that didn't use the word, the word social platform. <laughs> right? So, so otherwise, we would say, oh, it's a that. social platform. So, so Passport was, the, was honestly um, the, best that we, the best metaphor we could use for what the heck an identity provider is <laughs> that didn't say that wasn't the term identity provider, which is very technical. Um, and so that's why we've tried to use that terminology. And that's why our iOS app is called passport is at the end of the day, what passport lets you do is log into all these things and manage your identity and manage your settings. Right. And right. honestly, um, so far so good in terms of consumer reception to that, of people kind of getting what it is. Um, I don't have enough data to tell you, Oh, it's uh, everyone gets the metaphor, but it sure as heck is working a lot better than social platform. Um, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I guess the it's a little murky for me trying to piece together the story, but um, a part of the show that I like, and I've said this the last time on the show, and I say this pretty much every show, is talking about the beginnings and kind of tying some things together. I know this is your life and it's all linear, but can we go back a little bit in time and talk about um, what the beginnings of app.net was and what influenced you, what what, where this idea even came from? What was going on in your life? So, um, let's see. I bought the domain app.net like two years ago or so. And we, we were working on a product to help third-party app developers um, do app distribution, right? Like if you, look at the, if you look at the current application ecosystem, there's a lot of tools to help you um, build your app, Right mobile backend and a service, all that other good stuff. Right. Um, there's a lot of tools that do paid installs and all that sketchy stuff, which I learned all about. Um, but in terms of just like organic distribution and analytics and thing like, things like that, it, it is pretty lame, you know? <laughs> like the, there's a lot of issues with deep linking that you can't do in the App Store. And again, I don't want to get on tangent, but there's a lot of things that um, are not very good in my opinion. And so we started working on just building tools that help third-party app developers um, distribute their applications. Okay? So you still with me? Yeah. Um, so we started building stuff, <laughs> and, we, and we listened to our customers, right? Like I spent a lot of time talking to app devs about what their problems were. And so our tools, you know, were used by a lot of the, the top 
app devs um, like Hotel Tonight used us and Vivo used us. This is a legacy product. Um, I think we had 10% penetration on the top 100 apps in the App Store. So in terms of just like founder market fit, I learned a lot about how app developers think um, and how they think about app distribution. And so we started developing the product based on what our, our users wanted, which is, of course, what you want to do. And we realized that um, doing organic distribution across social networks was one of the most powerful ways that apps get distributed these days, right? Right. And so we started building shims and tracking uh, into things like Twitter uh, and into Facebook and spent a lot of time with APIs. And we'd spent a lot of the times uh, with the APIs at IMEAM, which we talked about in the last episode, so I won't rehash that again. But we were, we were quite familiar with what they, what they could do. Um, and we intentionally stayed the heck away from Twitter because they had already basically signaled that you shouldn't really build on it or bad things would happen. <laughs> um, but we ended up building a very in-depth uh, series of tools on Facebook. So let me be very concrete. We had this tool that let you take your Facebook fan page and make the default tab on your fan page be your app. Wow. Right? So right, right. So if you, went, if you went to like, um, you know, uh, what's, what's a good example of one? Um, social Coke. cam. So if you went to facebook.com slash social cam, the default tab would be app.net powered and it would show screenshots of social cam and have download buttons, right? Because that was going to perform way better uh, for doing distribution uh, on Facebook than, than other things. So are you still with me? I'm still with you. Okay. So we, we ended up working very <laughs> I'm glad you're checking, though. Okay. I'm just, so we ended up spending a great deal of time uh, with the Facebook team on, on all this stuff. And when they launched OpenGraph, we immediately got interested in what we could do with OpenGraph um, around the verb of downloading and trying to do, again, organic distribution rather than paid installs for seeing what apps your friends use, right? Like right. that's, that's something Apple should add, right? It's like, what apps are my friends using? It's pretty, pretty basic. Yeah, because I have no idea. Pretty basic, right? And if a new yeah, app it comes seems like it. and your friends like it, right now the only way you find out about it is if they like explicitly tell you, hey, I'm using this new thing. You should check it out. Right. right. Or you find out like, they're like, what? You don't know about this thing? Like, my God, I've been using this thing for six months or yeah. whatever it is. And you're like, and then you feel like an idiot. So Yeah. So look, this Not is cool. really basic stuff, but this is. Are, this is what our customers wanted us to build. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what app... This Distribution, is what, yeah. So they were like, hey, can you help us with this? And you're like, okay. So we ended up building a lot of uh, really interesting stuff with, uh, with OpenGraph and in Facebook. And we built um, a Facebook Canvas app. And, you know, I think, I, I think we got 300,000 users on Facebook, like authorized users. Uh, so, like, we built pretty sizable... <laughs> uh, app distribution mechanism on Facebook and uh, spent seven or eight months on it. And basically, uh, last summer, almost exactly a year ago, um, you know, and I blogged about this. So I'm not telling you anything that's not on my blog, but like, you know, I, I get called into a meeting uh, with senior management at Facebook and yeah. uh, they basically were like, oh, wow, like we love what you're doing. It's great. You know, the the thing is though, you know, we're going to, build a competitive product and you know you should probably just come work here otherwise you know bad stuff could happen right wink wink um and i was i was pretty unhappy about that because i had spent a lot of time talking to my points of contact to make sure that we weren't accidentally building on something like that they weren't going to build it right like I, i'm sophisticated enough to know not to intentionally lay down in front of the steamroller um and 
had been given a lot of uh, verbal uh, assurances that the the thing we were building was like way not a core thing that Facebook ever wanted to build, right? Um, but they changed their mind as sometimes happens. And so we ended up spending all that time and effort building something um, only to have our platform decide to directly compete with us, like to either buy us or put us out of business. Yeah. Yeah, that open letter to Mark was uh, was pretty. I thought it was cool. I mean, I thought it was cool the way you delivered it, and it's kind of not cool the way that they pulled you in and yeah, said what they said to like, you. But. I think people misinterpret that as like, oh, I did, I'm like entitled, or I mean, people. I don't know. What's weird when you have a blog that's read by a lot of people is people don't always get like just because you said it in the blog, it gets interpreted to whatever narrative yeah. people want to project on it. But the point of the letter. Honestly, it was just, look, dude, this happens all the time, but most founders will never admit it in public because it's, you're not supposed to or you're afraid. And I'm not afraid, right? Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if I could tell you how many other companies that this has happened to, that it never, where like a founder will tell you, you know, over drinks or something, but would never admit it in public. I mean, it happens all the time, right? So... I so this thought, kind of stems back to the whole thing of like financial motivations not quite being in line with yeah. what the user base is because that's what happens when this when this occurs that's the usually the reason. That's correct. Well, it was the, it was too lucrative, right? So they yeah. built App Center and they're doing incentivized installs, right? So like now, so I get it. They're going to make billions of dollars selling app installs. Cool. All right, that's what you know. <laughs> that's cool. That's their business. Fine. Um, so so the point of all that was just look. All I wanted was not to go and deal with all the Facebook BS. I just wanted a social platform because look, if I tried to build an app, if I tried to build a service that would show you what friends your, what apps your friends were using, I'm not going to build a new social graph from scratch. That's a waste of time. Who wants to right. use that? Would you sign up for that? Would you invite all your friends? Like no, that's it's... stupid, right? So you need a social platform, right? So what do I build on? What's what are there? my choices? Yeah, yeah. You got pretty much, well, you have... I mean, some would say you have three main choices, at least here in the U.S., but... Can't use Google+. Plus. No. They don't have an API yet. They may. They will, right? So I'm not, I'm not even going to dog on Google+. Plus. I'm saying they don't even have an API, so I can't, it's not actually an option. So I have two choices, and both of them are pretty bad choices. So you're left with? Yeah, so I'm left with nothing. Um, and so... <laughs> or- right, well, and, and what happened is last summer, um, I spent a bunch of time... Uh, thinking about this, I went, I went to this, this thing called Foo Camp, which is held every year. And um, one of the big topics everyone was talking about was the destruction of the Twitter ecosystem and just the degree to which um, all of the early employees got turned over uh, and a lot of the vision changed. And that's fine, right? Everyone's got to make money. No one's going to blame the current management from the decisions they're making. But like the fact is what a lot of the people, the kind of people that would go to food camp <laughs> thought Twitter was changed, right? Yeah. And so now what was like the big question, right? Like what's the solution? Like are we trapped in the cycle of, of companies being really cool and then getting big and then, you know, the founders leave and you hire a bunch of MBAs to run the company and, uh, you know, <laughs> like we've seen, we've seen this movie happen a few times. Yeah. And I... Uh, <sighs> A bunch of ideas were expressed there that were kind of baked, that 
were bouncing around my head, like uh, the Kickstarter guys were there. So I spent a bunch of time talking to the Kickstarter people and uh, thought about crowdfunding. And anyway, like I think there were three or four different threads of thinking that led to the culmination of me um, wanting to build app.net as it exists today, which is to fill what I see as a hole in the market for if you're a dev and you want to build something that uses a social graph, um, how, you know, not a lot of options are there. Like what, you know, no. what do you, like, what do you, what are you actually supposed to do if you, if you want to, if you are a dev that wants to build something that uses a social graph um, and, and that you don't want to have platform risk, quote unquote, um, you know, what, what, what is the right answer? <laughs> what are your options? So that, that was the culmination behind why uh, we, we decided to do app.net. So maybe you don't have to answer this directly right now, but something I'm hoping to get out of this conversation with you is to also understand this other side. And this is, uh, you know, just me trying to get more of an understanding of what you're doing at app.net. But, you know, for an app.net user, they, I understand what they're getting. But for a developer, they want, a, they want a place where they can openly develop third-party applications against an open API and open graph. But yeah, and let's not you, even use the word open because that's loaded. Like, seriously, that's something Gruber talks about a lot. Let's just say we're not, we don't build first-party apps, right? So we're right. Not, you're not going to have channel conflict. Like, it's like, so instead of throwing around the word open, it's like the point of this platform is that we're a platform. We're plumbing that knows it's plumbing. We're not going to decide, hey, cool, here's our music app. What's up? Oh, cool. Like, here's our, you know, like, (laughs) how's it going? Oh, here's a video app. What's up? You know, like, I don't even know what these companies are anymore because they're anything that looks promising, they just clone, right? So, or buy. Yeah, right. So, what I'm saying is, like, instead of being like, oh, we're more open, I think that's, I think that's been correctly shown to be uh, a tenuous place to say, right? In terms of Google's Android saying how open they are. I think it's more of like, look, our economic incentives are aligned such that the more apps that get built on the platform, the better that we do as a business, right? That's what we're here for. So therefore, the traditional concepts of platform risk um, look quite different in this ecosystem than you would see in an ad-supported ecosystem. Okay, so I guess the tail end of that, I'm really glad you mentioned open uh, and, and how that isn't open, so I'm sorry for Sure. I'm just saying like it's a that. word it's just a word that people throw around. Yeah. Is, like I don't even uh, know what that means exactly. Right. I get it. I'm glad to, that you squashed me on that. I mean I'm not upset, but I'm just saying that that uh, you know, that uh that if it's not open then it's then I'm so glad you corrected me because I don't wanna and it seems like it's something you're totally passionate about. It's something that I'm not quite connected to, but it's um, just a semantic thing. Like so many <laughs> yeah. so many dumb battles on the internet are about semantics. Right. And so I, t- I tend to, like, you'll never have a bigger flame war than when you argue about uh, RESTful uh, APIs. Have you oh, ever gotten one me, of those? Know. RESTful yes. APIs. It's like, oh, this isn't RESTful. It's like, okay, let's, <laughs> like, that's, the, that's a great way to start a flame war. So, yeah, and they, so, they, they find other ways to make it, yeah, I, I feel you. So I'm semantics matter. Semantics matter. They do. Okay, so the tail end of that is, so the developers can build something on the platform that makes sense for them, but... Um, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out if this is like a long term thing because I'm not sure what your user base is, base is or what your growth has been. But um, I guess as a developer myself, when I think about App.net and whether I want to build on there, and maybe it's just I'm missing something. So I'm really hoping that you can help me connect that. Is um, is the incentive for me as a developer is to build on it? But the the reason I'm doing it is because of the social graph and the people who are there. 
what if, you know, not that many people are there? How do you get them there? Right. So in terms of um, startup archetypes, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, this, is, this is a two-sided market, right? So let me give you an example. Um, Airbnb is a great idea. And the issue is how the heck do you get enough users <laughs> on both sides of the market for it to work? Like right. there were like two years there when Airbnb had, it just wasn't working, right? Like they, if those guys were sane, like they should have like shut down the company because no one was using it, right? But with a two-sided market, um, if you can get enough liquidity on both sides of the transaction, it can work. The same goes with eBay, right? Like in the early, early, early days of eBay, it's like, oh, cool. So I can post things and sell them and oh, and I could buy things. Well, like how, how do you get the dang thing started, right? Right. So- the huge we risk always with, have the chicken and egg. I mean, that's, yeah, that's we have the that. common. Right. Yeah. Well, and not, well, if it's not a two-sided market, then you don't have chicken and egg, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, if you're just an e-commerce startup, there's no chicken and egg, right? You're just like, oh, we're selling this. Um, but if you're, if, we're, if you're trying to get people on, the bo- on both sides, then, then there's definitely that risk. And um, the way, the way we, we bootstrapped it is to honestly appeal to developers first, and focus on trying to get good applications built. Um, and once there were good applications that developers built because they cared about the vision or that it's fun, like there's all sorts of motivations for people that are built on it or they're optimistic or they believe or, you know, there's lots of reasons why various developers have been building. Um, but it's not that we have 10 million users, right? Um, <laughs> uh, that gets the market started where, um, once the attractiveness that's smart though i like the that's certainly a good approach i didn't yeah well that's what like we that. did right no that's like what we got right so so now as of you know today there's quite a few really interesting applications that have been built um and the applications are not just the same old stuff right it's not like they're all um microblogging style apps there's there's chat apps there's group chat apps there's file apps there's photo apps um I see a lot of the stuff before it gets released because the developers will send me a build of it to check out and give them feedback. And so I have a pretty good idea what the pipeline looks like. And to me, at least this stage of the experiment worked quite well in that um, kind, of the, kind of the vision for this was that enough cool, fun things get built that if a normal person signs up for the service, they'll see some cool software. Right, they'll be like, "Oh, this is pretty cool. Like, I'll check this out. I, I enjoy using Patter. I enjoy using uh, Felix. Or I enjoy using Repost." And so, this is why um, we had we left it paid only during the early stages. Is I was I was honestly afraid that we would end up in a color like situation where if something is overhyped and everyone signs up and all the apps suck or if the software sucks, you're like dead. Right? Yeah. Like, I, did you download Color when it came out? I did. No, I didn't. Oh, I did. Like the day it came out, it was bad. Um, so something gets overhyped and then you can't back it up with a good product, then people write you off. And so in a strange way, uh, we definitely wanted developers to have awareness of what we were doing in the early days, but we made literally no attempt, if not an anti-attempt, to try to get normal people to sign up because there were no applications to sign up for and the software was really rough, right? Like we're starting right. this all from scratch. So the apps were rough, our website was rough, the sign-up process is rough. The whole thing was not ready for prime time. And in terms, again, using the two-sided market analogy, um, now, you know, as of like March 1, we have a free tier 
right? So that makes it easier for people to sign up. Um, a few weeks ago, we launched our iOS app called Passport, with the, which lets you sign up and manage your uh, account. And if you if you notice, like the new uh, iOS apps that are available for iOS uh, for App.net, use Passport to do login to do single sign-on. I, I don't know if you have you had a chance to check that out. No, I haven't had a chance yet. No. It's pretty awesome, right? So, like, if you download this new, if you download a new app that integrates Passport, and you go to that first screen, there's just a login with Passport button, and you push it. And it shows you the OAuth login screen, and you click accept, and then you're done. You're in. Wow. Right? So it's like... Makes it a lot easier. It's really easy, right? And it's, it's, that's what you would want to see for something that ever had a chance to start to get normal people to sign up for. Instead of like, um, you know, jumping through four hoops to get an account, right? Right. I mean, I like the use of the name, too. I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier, which was being the passport to great applications, you know, that that's, yeah, you log in. It is the passport. Yeah. Logins will move around. Right. Like that. And that's the metaphor that we're trying to make for mainstream people to get. It's like, Oh, here's your passport app and you can log into all these apps. Yeah. Check them out. That that makes sense. I mean, because I mean, any, if anybody's like you had said, if there anybody else using some of the third party apps that are in the app store that utilize app.net, then, you know, it makes it a lot easier. The user experiences increase. Plus you can probably do a lot better controlling of that as a platform, not so much to control the, you know, how it's done, but so much as to control the, the UX of a user using something that uses app.net. Well, I think the main benefit is the user can uh, edit their settings yeah, and edit their profile and they can upgrade to a paid account. Like all the things you would want to see. Um, I think about it kind of like, you know, your iTunes ID. Yeah. You use it is, all the time. Yeah. And you rarely actually log into the management page where you update your credit card info and all that stuff. Um, but every once in a while you need to, but it's like your, your iTunes ID is what empowers you to use the app store and to use the music store and all of this other crazy stuff. Um, and once you have that identity and once you have all that stuff set up, that's, that's the thing that glues all these different pieces of software together. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I think about what your app.net account is, is the, is the identity layer that glues together all this stuff. Um, and that if we can have a great user experience for people, um, bouncing between you know desktop apps and mobile apps and, and what have you, um, then I think we've we've done a good job as a as a platform. And now this thing has a shot to actually get lots of users. So so to get to your earlier to your earlier statement, like okay, so why would you build on it? Um, to me, just like any other two sided market, the larger we get, the more attractive this becomes to build on. And different developers will have different inflection points where they think it's worth their time, right? Like we're already big enough such that uh, Ift and Instapaper and uh, Pocket and um, Buffer um, and, geez, Reader, like all these apps have built in app.net, right? Uh, and we just, you know, uh, you know, do you use Bootstrap much yourself? Uh, like uh, Twitter's Bootstrap? Uh, yeah, like they renamed it. It used to be what are it called Twitter Bootstrap, but yeah. So well, I yeah, just just like there's a JavaScript different framework. Bootstrap you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I've used it before. Yeah, okay. so they just built App.net's icon set into Font Awesome, which is Bootstrap. So like nice. App.net is now built into Bootstrap as the icon, right? I'm not saying like obviously right. it's just an icon layer, but like what's happening is like we're not big enough for every single app developer to want to put some sort of App.net integration in. But the calculus for, for these people building stuff in is, is starting to tilt towards like, okay, this is worth doing, right? Um, like 
designer sites are starting to bake in uh, some of this stuff, like Dribble showed up and Behance showed up and people like that. So, so what we're seeing is that in terms of both sides of the market, there's now enough of a critical mass and it's growing fast enough that, that yeah, like new integrations are happening and the rate of new integrations and the rate of new apps being built, as far as I can tell, uh, has, been, has been increasing um, at a faster rate than it was before. Yeah, I've been watching. I mean, it seems like it's certainly picking up for you. I mean, even just browsing and and being able to discover more about what you are on your own website has gotten, you know, more and more increased. So you've been definitely been shining a light on what matters most. But um, since you mentioned that, you mentioned about making money and uh, the alignment of, you know, the the vision of the platform itself. Can we talk a little bit about business model? Maybe – I'd like to talk a little bit about how you raise some money too, but that's, I'd rather talk about this instead, but if there's a way you can tie that in, then sure, that's cool with me. But, you know, when we talk about how you make money, what are, what are the ways that app.net makes money and how is that beneficial to the platform? Sure. So look, it's a services model. Um, and in terms of services models, I've spent a ton of time thinking about them. Um, like for, I mean, my, my main board member, like the first person to invest in me, who was like my closest mentor through, you know, eight or nine years, right? He is the COO of Evernote. Uh, and he's also one of the angel investors in like this current company in app.net. And so I have been thinking a lot about the Evernote model <laughs> and have been asking a lot of questions about Evernote and trying to understand how Evernote works from a business model perspective. Because think about it, like they have a free tier you don't have to sign up out of the gate to download Evernote apps. Um, and they're fantastically profitable, right? They make a crap ton of money, money right? Like they're going to yeah. go public in a year or two. And I've been trying to, to me, I held them up in my, in my early blog post about app.net as an example, um, in addition to things like Dropbox of, of companies that were able to, you know, like instead of the cycle of like, oh yeah, we're not focused on revenue, we're just going to grow, and we'll have a new form of advertising and then, oh, crap, we need to either sell, you know, hopefully Yahoo will buy us or something, or, we need, or you know, like, like there's this whole like really – I like how you're showing that one in. Yeah. I mean, hey, man, Yahoo's – Yahoo bells a lot of people out, man. Um, anyway, it's like is there an alternative to that cycle, right? And to me, the fact that Dropbox – you know, remember like Apple tried to buy Dropbox and Dropbox said no, right? Yeah, apparently no, they're just a feature. What's that? I said apparently they're just they're just a feature. Oh, is that what oh you're right. That's what Jobs told them. Um yeah. and the fact same with Evernote, like the fact that these are turning into really interesting standalone companies um without having the stage where they have to like sell everybody out. And as far as I know, those companies have not had to just like turn evil one day, right? Like unless correct me if you disagree, but like I don't they, they're pretty much the same as they were in the beginning state, right? There wasn't yeah. a like, it wasn't like, okay, step three, um, pull the blanket out from under everything that we have built and change, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, I, I see those services business models where you're driving revenue from providing a service that users value um, as being the best aligned with this sort of thing. So here's another thought experiment. Um, Amazon Web Services, Right. Let's do a thought experiment. You could use Amazon Web Services to build an e-commerce competitor to Amazon, right? 
You could. And you could use that e-commerce competitor to just beat the crap out of them, right? Because you're underselling them or whatever, like Zappos or something. Like you just like, you're, you're like, would Amazon go in and sabotage your AWS instance? Like, can you imagine them doing that in that thought experiment? Would they go like, you know, kill your dinos or something? Maybe not. I sure hope not. Right. But that's what Facebook did to Zynga. Right. (laughs) So like, so like in the services, in this, in this thought experiment, like, if you're paying for infrastructure, or if it has a, if it if it feels like infrastructure, it looks like infrastructure. Um, there are certain things that, whether or not you use the word open or whether or not you throw that around, like services, things tend to look like services, right? If you pay for an internet connection, it behaves like an internet connection. If you pay for Dropbox, it syncs your files, right? They're not going to one day turn around and be like, "Ooh, bad news," you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you need to you need to follow some brands on Dropbox, or else uh, you know you won't be able to download your files, right? Like, could you imagine that? I mean, <laughs> it's just funny hearing like, you even trying to uh, have an analogy. What happens, right? Like, yeah. The, um, so, so the model from a business model perspective, and the reason we talk about paid is it's not that I'm like, oh, advertising is bad. I had advertising. Ads are annoying. Like some people think that I'm this guy who thinks ads are annoying or something. No, I don't. I mean, oh, I know I'm, you know, but it's funny to read people like not get yeah. what I'm trying to say. The, the idea here is that we know that we're plumbing, right? We know that we're pipes and we want to act like pipes because pipes tend to be more reliable <laughs> and tend to not like just switch everything up all of a sudden, right? Where yeah. they're like, oh, never mind. I guess we're not going to be pipes anymore. Um, so that is, that is the philosophy behind it. And again, like modeled on, modeled on the Evernote slash Dropbox um, situation where the advantage of having a free tier is that it makes it very liquid for people that want to try it out. And it makes it very easy for them to switch between apps and be find an app that works for them. Um, and it also makes it so that the people that are very, most devoted and invested users are the people that ever would even notice limitations to want to pay. Right. 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 And that's that's the, they graduate into, you know, true immersion into the, into the community because if you've got, like you'd mentioned the free tier, they can use things freely, uh, enjoy the service and realize, I mean, they obviously know what platform they're on, that eventually there is a a paid tier. And when they hit that tier, they're like, Oh, I must be really enjoying my time here. I should just, pay the the amount and hopefully that amount is in line with their expectations too but yes you know so uh, what, and, what and the other thing just to think about like while we're playing thought experiments is whether people realize it or not um traditional ad models are freemium <laughs> as well because most people never click on an ad ever right yeah that's true and a lot of people run ad blockers right um the fact is like you're hoping that enough people are dumb enough to click on you know, the belly fat ads or whatever and purchase the product or, you know, like the brand. Um, and that's what like keeps the trains running on time. But the fact is most, you know, statistically speaking, a very low percentage of the user base ever clicks on an ad and purchases a product because of an advertisement that they see somewhere. And that most people are actually quote unquote freeloaders, right. (laughs) Um, in a traditional ad business, right. So you're still taxing, like there's still some small percentage of your user base in an ad business that is effectively subsidizing, um, the whole thing. So uh, the models are less different than you would think. Let's put it that way. So since we're talking about ads, um, and we talk about your blog quite a bit too, um, you wrote this post, what Twitter could have been. Yep. And you talk about how ads, and we just kind of went through this a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can elaborate just a tiny little bit. 
Um, but that it seems that ads have somewhat ruined what Twitter is for you because, you know, you see promoted tweets and weird so, things. Yeah, and- so just to be clear, it's not about ads. It's the decisions they made. So if you go back in time, like, again, like you can, you can quote from the post, but there was a time when it was plumbing, right? Like that was, I think, how they would have described it. And um, what was supposed to be exciting about it is all the stuff that was built. They had no first-party apps. Like all the iOS apps that they used were made by third-party devs just like what we are today. And right. it's not that like, oh, ads inherently ruined Twitter. It was that they were like, okay, like we hired a bunch of salespeople and we got you know, to build a real business here, right? We're going to go public. We're going to have 1,000 employees and we're going to do all this good stuff. So to make it a real business, um, they had to make a lot of really tough decisions. And some of those tough decisions uh, were pushing out things like t.co, we're pushing out Twitter cards so you can't embed the raw text anymore. Like there's, there's all these product decisions that you can all kind of trace back to what is good for their business model, right? Which yeah. again is fair. Like I'm, it's not like, oh, what they're doing is like bad. It's just it leads to them optimizing on things that leaves a lot of opportunity. It leaves a vacuum in the market, right? Because yeah. if you because if you accidentally stand in the wrong place that's not that's in the wrong quadrant then you're dead, right? Yeah, that's true. They said as much. Right? This but is not they, a secret. They, yeah, they said it very clearly. So so don't stand in that quadrant, right? So so what happens for all the interesting applications that users want, right? And that developers want to build that are in the wrong quadrant. Where are they supposed to go? Like where, where is the innovation going to happen for new forms of filtered messaging, right? For new forms of meme tracking. Um, for new UI paradigms, right? Like pull to refresh was made by a third-party Twitter dev and we use it all every day. And it was someone trying to build a better mousetrap and innovating in UI design, right? So where is that innovation? Like where is that supposed to happen now for people that are interested in this stuff? Because it sure as heck isn't over there. So even if we assume that everything they're doing is 100% correct and is the right move for their business, it doesn't mean there's not a vacuum or there's not an opportunity um, for, for a different sort of... uh, model to to uh to still be successful so i guess since we're talking about business model i'm i'm kind of curious about this and i think this comes down to some level of trust potentially that uh that these developers and users that we're talking about you know they're going to use app.net and do use app.net um you know this this level of trust because um, Twitter's been around for a while. They kind of spread it up their own way and, and whatever. But I'm kind of curious just to hear from you what your what your what your plan is more or less. Like long haul, are you in it for the long haul, or is this potentially an acquisition play? Are you going to look at the Yahoo soon? I mean, <laughs> that's a joke, but you get what you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look the the thing I've always been clear on from day one is we're trying to build something with aligned user incentives that is economically sustainable because again like those companies that i was pointing at earlier were all companies that were in an excellent position and have not ended up having to do some like change around thing or having to sell or you know all of those tough decisions that often founders make and and i have to say that like sometimes sometimes people uh like some folks that i know some of the yc folks i know sometimes you know um they do sell their companies and sometimes that's the right thing to do so you know, I think sometimes bloggers are really mean uh, to, to when people go down that path. But if there's not a better option and if there's not a clear path to sustainability, that's um, sometimes that's the right call for people to make. So in terms of me specifically on app.net, like I've always phrased this as like a grand experiment. 
where I think I've laid out in the podcast what my key theses are, right? My, my key theses are for why I think this is an interesting um, thing to work on and why I believe in the developer ecosystem and why uh, I think this will succeed. And to the extent that what is happening now keeps happening, right? Where the rate of new apps is built fast, that the rate of growth that we're seeing on the user side continues along uh, the way it is. Um, this certainly looks like a sustainable, long-term, standalone company, right? Um, If for whatever reason things, you know, don't work in the grand experiment, um, again, I want to be realistic. Like sometimes you see founders and you see them like on press and they're like, oh yeah, we're, I'm doing this for the next 30 years. And they see all these things and like, it's like their first company and they don't know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They don't know that sometimes no matter how hard you try, uh, thing, things can go sideways on you, right? So, so to be very crisp, crisp in my answer, as long as things st- still keep looking good like they're looking now, this is awesome, right? And I want to see this to it's. I want to see where this goes. This is the coolest thing I've ever worked on, right? I've never. I, this is really fascinating to see something start from scratch, and to see the ecosystem be popping out new stuff every day, and to see emergent behaviors from the community every day, and to have all these people be excited about it. This is really cool. Right. So the last thing I would want to do is like not see not see this through and not shepherd this to the best of my ability to to where wherever it grows into. Uh, But but yeah, like companies are like uh, they're like kids or something. Right. You see them when they're babies and you wonder what they're going to look like when they grow up. Right. So (laughs) so like you really want to know. That's kind of what I'm asking is what do you what do you are you in it for the long haul? What are you going to like that kind of thing? I mean, I. I am. I mean, if you look at my bio, I mean, how many years did I do? I mean, nine years, eight years. Yeah, that's like, true. I mean, if you, that's certainly like there's a lot of times when I could have bailed on that one and it probably would have been much easier on me. But that wasn't that that was not in my DNA. Uh, like I was with that one till the very, very, very end. And the same um, the same with this company through all the ups and downs. Hey, maybe I could have taken that Facebook deal. Right. Yeah. I'd have a lot more money right now than I do today yeah that's right? true so i mean be working me, for the I man could, yeah i was trying to say is like I, to me i could point to my past behavior as an indication that um yeah. i will see things out um for to the best of my abilities for as long as i can um yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't think the trust, and I, and don't feel like I'm asking that question because I distrust you, and I don't no, even cool. think People that the general public distrusts right? you. No, I no, think no. it's an important point to make. Honestly, uh, the, the reason why I'm making this, why I'm asking you to make this point, though, and I'll just so I can give some behind the scenes of why I'm asking this question, really, is because we've been as users of a platform, we've been we've been let down yep. by two others, as you already know, and um. I think if we're going to start to invest I agree. Uh, as a community into app.net, it, it's nice to know that you're right. Your iMeme history definitely paints a clear picture that you're in it for the long haul, that you yeah. are committed, and you're a good shepherd of of, uh, of a good team that can build something awesome. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing that's so stressful is I know how many people believe in us and have been spending their time developing and, and, yeah. and spending their time in the community, and it really it means a lot, right? Like it's stressful because I don't want to let people down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it really – it's something that, that keeps me awake at night. It's like I, I, do, I definitely don't want to let people yeah, down. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, man, like that's, that's why I'm doing this, right, is it's uh, – there are so many times I could have taken an easy way out or, or bailed on something early, like – the way I got here <laughs> at this point in my life is uh, by by being 
the guy who doesn't give up when maybe he should <laughs> time and time again. Right. Like, yeah. I guess that's what people make fun of me for. Uh, so, so yeah, man, like that's, that's, I, I am so excited to see where this thing goes. Right. Like this is just like the coolest shit ever. Right. So that's like, that's what keeps me going is, uh, is I remain optimistic and I certainly can envision this reality where one day we look at the app store charts and like, you know, three or four of the top 10 social networking applications are all app.net applications. Right. Right. I can see it, man. Like, um, the Felix for iPad, which came out on Monday was the number one paid social networking app for three days this week. Right. Wow. I think it was the hundred and I think it hit 120 paid overall on iPad. Um, so like we can chart things, right? Like there's a lot more growth to do to be able to chart things and pen them to the top, but the the app.net app ecosystem is already you know, it's already there. Like I'm starting to see I'm starting to see it start to get real penetration. And it's not just one application, it's a bunch of different stuff. And that's what's that's the experiment here. So you're um you said you're able to chart those things. Are you going to start uh exposing some of that stuff? And I, I got another question on this too that we talked about earlier onto um, your directory. So directory.app.net yeah. um, showing, you know, how popular it is. Like there's no notion of that on this screen here. There's also no notion of uh, which friends of mine I yeah. am logged into, which are using this. Um, definitely that will get interesting when we do. In terms of popularity, you know how we have for the um, developer incentive program, we have the monthly voting, right? Do you know, have you done the voting before? Um, no. So, Basically, users vote for the apps that give them the most utility, right? And that's how we uh, allocate the developer incentive program. So we already have a great feedback loop of what apps, you know, it's not just like downloads, it's like the apps that people love, right? And the ones they're willing to go and they vote and we're able to even track that over time. So we have a fantastic feedback loop for us to learn, um, you know, what people love. (laughs) And that is definitely not exposed in the directory, um, but we have been making improvements in the directory. And if you, if you go check out the iOS app, app.net passport, um, the, there's the equivalent of a directory in that as well. There's that curated list. And so it definitely would make sense to add more, um, ratings or, or user feedback or things like that. Uh, as long as it stays clear of accidentally stepping on app store rules. <laughs> uh, but also in terms of like what apps your friends are using and what's, what's new stuff to check out. That are all, those are all things that we plan on on integrating in the service because that's to me part of what Passport is supposed to do from a conceptual perspective is like right. it's you're traveling between these different apps you're traveling between different countries you're bringing your stuff with you you own your stuff with you across these different things that's it's all very consistent with the metaphor uh, in my mind. Yeah, I was trying to find some info while you were talking there about the the developer program and that incentive program you mentioned. Yes, um, is the is the best place to point people to this this blog post back last year on September, uh, roughly announcing an, the the app dot developer incentive program. There's been one update since then. I'm surprised there wasn't a link on it. Like if you look, I'm sure you're working looking at our WordPress blog. Uh, click the tag or something. There was an update to the developer incentive program. It's basically the exact same rules. We just increased the pool size to $30,000 a month. Um, And we we require developers to have a privacy policy in terms of service. Like we made a few tweaks off the first one, but it's by and large the same. Okay. I just want to make sure I link that in the show notes because... Yeah, so link the um, most recent version then. That'd be great. I will. I will definitely do that. All right. 
Okay, so uh, next question I have for you, where uh, we got a couple more questions and we'll, sure. we'll start the trail off. But uh, I'm just wondering if there's any misconceptions that you're aware of about App.net that you'd love to squash on this show. I mean, I've been lucky enough to see a lot of really big world-changing startups right when they launch. And right when they launch, it's really hard to picture how they would ever be big. Um, or it's hard to see how they would ever grow. Or it's hard to see how it would ever appeal to people that aren't geeks. <laughs> and so, like, as I said to you earlier in the podcast, like, out of the gate, all we were trying to do is appeal to developers, right? Like, I think there were a lot of people that were like, oh, I would never sign up for this. Like, it's like, well, no one Not asked right you. Well, it's like, <laughs> like I, I don't care. Like, when our goal is to sign up 10,000 people, <laughs> right? And to get to build a good community off of that and to build great apps and to have like-minded people that want to be a part of this. It's not yeah. to be all things to all people, right? And to be something that would appeal to, uh, to like a total mainstream audience. So I think that just like from a misconception perspective, people that are like, oh yeah, like it's all a bunch of developers talking to each other or something. It's like, well, well, yeah, I mean, that's, you just described, um, you know, what, what Twitter looked like the first two years it existed. And, um, Facebook was just a bunch of Harvard kids talking to each other for a year. Right. Um, that was definitely what it looked like. Um, you know, the, you could look at the early days of YouTube where it was just a bunch of crap. They ripped off e-bombs world in the early days. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like if you, if you see the, like, um, the baby pictures of what a lot of these things look like at the beginning, it can be hard to picture how they could ever be big. Right. Um, and, one of the ways that I try to stay patient and the, the things that I, that I talk about on our podcast is that like, it's from these sorts of humble beginnings, right. Where, you know, the kind of people that would go to homebrew computer, computer club and get an Apple IIe before there was any software for it. Like, yeah, that's, that's some geeky shit, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that if you extrapolate forward and you're able to grow and real innovation happens, that it can't be something that does touch a lot of people's lives. Right. And, and I right. saw this with I mean, right. I started that thing in my studio apartment and it was like, really like not glamorous, glamorous shit at all. Um, and to end up with 30 million registered users and to be like a cult cultural thing that a lot of people cared a lot about, you know, like I would get letters from people, I get emails from people about how important it was to them. You know, like I've seen how really small geeky seeming things can get big. And so I don't know for a fact that will happen to us, but just in terms of misconceptions, um, just because it started off being a thing that geeks care about does not mean it can't be uh, big someday, right? It's not <laughs> like it doesn't limit it doesn't limit what it can be over time. So on that note, then I guess uh, since we're roughly two years later of, sure. of App.net starting, um, and one year since the current, like remember we announced I announced joined App.net. Right. It was uh, July 13, so we're not. It's not even a year now. It's ten months. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Thanks for yeah. No problem. Clarifying that. Um, so I, I guess in terms of, if you, if you had, I, I guess this is the case right now, but if you can speak to an audience of non-geeks and geeks that could say, and you could say, this is what I'd like you to do on app.net over the next year, what would, what would that be? So I, I think what's going to happen is that, um, as new applications come out that are really cool and appeal to people. Um, there'll be an incentive to at least go download it and check it out 
um, because you're going to see things that you haven't seen before. Like some of the stuff that's coming soon, there's, there's some things I've seen around group messaging, which are pretty fresh, like I haven't seen elsewhere. Um, and so even if you ignore that it was built on the app.net platform, if you just said, here's a new app, I think people are going to say like, this is a pretty cool app. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, right. like what's going to appeal to normal people is they're going to see stuff and you're going to be able to show it to your friends like, oh yeah, check out this new thing. And regardless of how it works under the hood, it's going to be pretty cool, right? So over the next year, I think what you're going to see happen is as the breadth and depth of things that people build, right? Like developers are just hitting their stride of, because remember, we cold started this thing nine months ago, right? Like the yeah. files API was released in freaking December. So they've, <laughs> we've had like four months for people to, to get this going. Um, so I think what you're going to see over the next year is just like, there's going to be new weird stuff and maybe it's not for everybody, but there's a higher and higher chance that you're, you're going to see an app that's worth checking out and is worth trying out with your account and that you may find a reason to integrate into your day-to-day uh, usage, right? And that's, that's what I believe will make, that's what's going to attract normal people and that's why they're going to care. It's just not, they're, they're not going to care about my backstory. They're not going to care who Dalton is. They don't give a shit and I, I don't expect them to. But they're going to see some cool stuff on the charts, right? They're going to, oh, what's this Felix thing? What's the, you know, and, and that's going to be worth uh, downloading. That's going to be worth experiencing. And um, in my belief, that's what's, going to, that's what's going to grow this thing to the point where mainstream users start to care. And what about developers? Uh, well, with, with developers, I think that if you look at, like a lot of people that are in the developer community, and I spend a lot of time with them, they love the API and they love what we're doing. And, you know, a lot of them use it for fun. Uh, like they use the service to, to talk to each other. Um, and they, there's a lot of people that have been holding back until they believe we can grow fast enough, right? Again, it's part of the chicken and egg thing. So I think to developers, the more evidence that we can show that this thing is not going to be some like, you know, oddity <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, it's fun to build on because the APIs are cool, but that is not going to ever make them any money. Um, the more we can build a case that this is going, this has the opportunity to be quite lucrative as a developer, whether you're doing paid apps, whether you're doing freemium app, whatever your business model is, um, the people that are paying attention but have stayed on the sidelines, I think we're going to see them um, jump in. And I do think there's enough, I think if everyone was building the same microblogging apps, that the market's not big enough to sustain a bunch of developers working on it. But because this is so open-ended, right, because you can build location apps and photo apps, because you can pretty much build anything that would use a social API, um, I think there's a large enough surface area for a lot of developers to, to build weird stuff that, I, that we've never thought of before, right? Like who would have thought Snapchat would be a thing? Like I, yeah. it's, not, it's not something I would have ever thought of, right? But no. Peop, but someone did and people love it, right? But I, I never would have thought of Snapchat. That's a good point. Right? So there's still, so even though we think, oh, all the good apps have been built, no, there's always going to be new stuff. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, we've only, I mean, the, the internet is still young. I mean, yes. building applications the way we do these days is still young. And I think we're going to be surprised by, you know, what the next generation of developers start to do and what yep. they are doing now. I mean. And, and to me, the file API that we have and the way that it works, there's nothing like it out there from other APIs. Like that's the biggest differentiator from just a pure API perspective. And I think we've only begun to scratch the surface. Like devs are just starting to wrap their head around what you could do with the file API. So I expect that to be the vector by which really unexpected stuff starts to pop out, right? That's my, if I had to guess, that's, 
there's not another social API or anything like this that has something that looks like our files API, right? So I think that's going to be, um, like once developers really get what they can do with it, that's going to be the vector by which new applications get built. Yeah, this uh, this question kind of belongs a little bit on a different show, but it's a little bit applicable here since we're talking about developers. But um, having your API spec on GitHub and kind of being in, like you had mentioned, your your developer yourself, that's what you went to school for and what you do. But what is having that on GitHub? And we talked about your terms of service, I think, uh, on yep. uh, on the industry when you were on that show with me. Um, what is have just being on that community, being a part of GitHub and having your spec be on there? What's that done for the API itself? I mean, look, in terms of our benefit, it's great from a workflow perspective because we can get um, pull requests and we can get issues opened. Like just from a pure <laughs> workflow perspective, GitHub yeah. is really good, right? I see you have 93 issues speaking of issues, by the way. Yep. But that's a good thing. I mean, yeah, you can look at closed issues and you can, yeah, like people, 246 there. Yeah. So people use that thing. Um, from just a pure workflow perspective, it's a great tool. Um, additionally, it, it helps surface what we're doing in a way that people are used to understanding, right? Like it's effectively yeah. the standard for reading documentation or reading source code, right? Yeah. So sure. being able to publish that and take for granted that that resource is available is so much better than if we tried to put, tried to not have it on GitHub, right? What would the alternative be? This stuff was just on our website somewhere. Well, would we put like a comment box on it? Or like how, you know, would you email us? Would we do a mailing list, right? Like the tool, yeah. there's so many benefits. for You're just integrated take, right into the community you need to be integrated with. Exactly, yep. And people yeah. get how to use it. Like if you, one great example is there's this uh, iOS library called ADN Kit that a third party dev built for, for app.net. And someone else built some stuff and didn't finish it. And so the guy who built ADN kit forked it and took all the work he had done and built on top of it. And if you go look at it, he's gotten a ton of pull requests and basically every app.net app, I shouldn't say every, a large percentage of app.net apps on iOS are using this library. And just to show you how good it is, our official passport app uses ADN kit. How funny is that? Like wow. <laughs> we, we, we're, our official app is using code made by a third-party developer that they've put together on GitHub. And an ADN kit um, depends on AF networking, which is one of the most popular libraries on GitHub. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like yeah. a networking. So if you, if you trace the chain back, it's like, okay, AF networking is like the standard networking library that a lot, large percentage of iOS apps use. This is built on top of AF networking. There's patches back. It works great. Um, I've seen a ton of people do major commits to that, and it's so dang good that we use it ourselves. So to me, that's just an example of the power of having GitHub that well integrated into the workflow. And it certainly lets you talk right to, I mean, the the Recon audience. And, you know, you mentioned using a third-party library like that. I mean, um, we didn't talk at all about the, the... the technical details of app.net, I'm not even sure of them myself. I haven't followed the story that closely, but what is the platform built on? Um, so a lot of the API... Written in, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of the API is um, is written in Python. Um, we've been writing uh, a number of performance-sensitive pieces in Go recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so like our streaming API is written in Go, um, and we make heavy use of Redis and MySQL on the persistence layer. Yeah. So that's what that's what we got. 
So there you go. So every day you're using third party stuff to build your, I mean, yeah. Redis, all those things are open source. And I mean, uh, Antares build Redis and, um, yeah, that's, that's yeah, cool go, stuff. Go is pretty cool, right? I, I mean, yeah. Go is none of the, you know, a lot of the stuff did not exist a few years ago. And it's funny, um, cause my co-founder worked with me at iMeme and the tools are a lot different than they were a few years ago. And they're so much better. It's not even funny. Right. Like that's true. <laughs> like the state of the art circuit 2005 versus 2010 versus 2013. Oh, yeah. I mean, holy cow, man. Um, and not only that, but I mean, just accessibility and the ability to participate is yep. fundamentally changed software development. That's I'm so excited about the future. And that's why I was asking some of these questions, too, because that's kind of where I think I see app.net going. And I'm hoping that other people see it the same way. But to hear it from you on this show, the same, you know, that. You know, you bootstrapped on developers and um, what developers are doing on the on the system now in comparison to what they could be doing in the future. I mean, that's just – I mean, we've only scratched the surface in my opinion. And like Precisely. you had said, we've, we're have we now looking at uh, babyapp.net, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, quite the full what's, grown. What's so exciting to me is that most of our developers, like I've gotten to know them really well. They yeah. are one person. They are two people. I don't – I can't think of a team off the top of my head that's more than two people. And they're building stuff – that's as high of a quality from a fit and finish perspective and from a popularity perspective is things built by 10 person teams and 15 person teams. So if you think about software tools as being um, uh, like, I don't know if leverage is the term, but like amplifiers, right? If you think of like really good software makes you more productive. Um, it's to me, I'm seeing a lot of validation that, you know, taking advantage of the messages API and the post API and the streaming API, like taking all these things, you know, one or two people can build some really compelling stuff really quickly. And so, yeah, like I'm super optimistic about the idea of, of giving people more and more powerful tools to build stuff that users want to use um, with less resources. And if you had to roll all this stuff from scratch, right. Um, yeah. That's the, that's, that gets quite exciting. Yeah. Well, here's a here's a chance for you to shine a light on somebody else. Well, actually, there's sorry, there is one other question I wrote down sure. while I was talking to you about that. I wanted to ask you, um, uh, is there what's some innovating stuff or innovating applications? I, I know you just mentioned a couple there, but some innovating stuff being built on App.net that you want to shine a light on on the show. Sure. So one of the things that I try really hard to do is not uh, play favorites with the app dev community. So what I do is I talk about the stuff being built. But I won't. <laughs> I go out of my way to use multiple applications and not use just one, um, and to to give uh, you know to promote and make awareness of when new things get released. But again, in not a way that it's like, oh yeah, this is the one that I think is the best. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's my caveat for you. Um, so look, there's there's a few different um, what I call verticals between the types of applications um, on the microblogging side. Uh, there's, I mean, there's actually really good stuff happening on Android. Um, Robin has gotten a lot of really good reviews, um, and is a paid app on Android. And, uh, like I've shown it to a few people that are really into Android and they're like, wow, this is fantastic. Like I was showing it to, to Peter Rojas the other day, you know, you know, do you know Peter? Like, uh, and he was no. like, wow, this is a, um, uh, I think he was like, I think he was the co-founder of Engadget back in the day, but he works at AOL. He he's does he did a uh, he, he's bounced around a few times, but anyway, so he's like a 
hard, he's like a really well-known Android blogger, right? Like it's, okay. I, I, I think people respect his opinion on Android, but he was like, this is fantastic, right? And so to me, that was like a really cool validation that, um, you know, a couple of devs, I think he's in Australia that build the thing, um, could build to him that Peter Rojas is be like, this is a fantastic Android application. Um, so, so on Android, there's, uh, there's Robin, um, there's Dash, uh, which is a free application. And there's also a new one called Drift. And those are microblogging style applications in that vertical. On iOS, um, the most actively developed ones, geez, off the top of my head, and there's a lot of them, so I sometimes forget them. Um, so Repost just had an update yesterday. Felix had an update on Monday. Um, uh, Felix added the iPad version. Obviously, NetBot exists on iOS and iPad. Um, there's an app called Happy, uh, which is on iOS and iPad as well. Um, Geez, there's, there's Chimp, there's Yop. I mean, you, you can look at the directory, but there's like 20-something. But I'd say the three most popular in terms of market share are uh, Repost, Felix, and NetBot. Um, there's also things that don't look like microblogging at all. So there's, um, there is Climber, which creates short-form videos in a looped format, a lot like Vine. Hmm, okay. There's Sprinter, which creates uh, filtered photos, a lot like Instagram. Um, there is um, there are desktop applications that run in the system tray that use the file API. Um, so there's um, what is the one that Urban Ape made? Uh, it's it has a it has an ape like metaphor. What is the name of it? It's in the Mac App Store. Chimp uh, maybe? No, Chimp is the iOS app. Like click okay. on Mac Apps if you have it in front of you. Yep. Uh, Swing. There you go. So Swing uh, <laughs> runs in the system tray. There's also Orbit, and those make it really easy to pop things in and out of your file storage. There's also FileBase, which mounts your file storage into a um, something that looks exactly like a uh, like a file manager, right? <laughs> like a straight up file manager, which is um, which is pretty cool. Like you can drag and drop files in, and it you know it's like you're mounting your app.net file storage like a hard drive. Um, the other thing that I'm really excited about is the Patter ecosystem. So there's a web app called Patter, and there's also an iOS app for it. And I believe there is an Android app in development as well as a Windows desktop app. And uh, Patter is it's like IRC or it's like chat rooms. So it's not hmm. it's not like microblogging where you're in public and you're like uh, you know people can repost you or whatever. Um, this is a lot like old school AOL chat rooms where there's like a topic and you join it and you can talk to people. And those are always fun. <laughs> yeah. And so, so basically like that's built into the API. So there's this whole little ecosystem of people that are just doing patter. Like you could have an app.net account and do nothing with it, but go into patter rooms and talk to people about whatever you want to talk about and never interact on the microblogging service. And that's cool. Right. <laughs> like that, that's, you're still, you're not doing it wrong. Right? So that must be the misconception. I was uh, maybe even, um, that, that, you should have said potentially that maybe you just don't know you should have said because I think the misconception is that app.net is only alpha.app.net or what, uh, yeah. you know, what you're doing in microblogging yourself. Like yeah, no, alpha, like, uh, yeah, we just built that in a couple of weeks. And we've so really this is, this is a very a much, platform, right? It's not a, like alpha is a service. App.net is a social platform. Right. Like that's, and I, and I know like that's inside baseball and that's why, you know, but like if you're, if I'm talking to a developer audience, App.net is the stuff under the hood, and you could do all sorts of crazy stuff with the stuff under the hood. Alpha was just the thing that we built 
to show what you could build with it to right. get the game started. Right. We gotcha. had to start with something. Otherwise, if you just. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, you got to. Um, and again, like the microblogging piece is cool because say you say, hey, we're doing a chat in this pattern room. It makes sense to be able to post that as a microblog in public and then tie people in to the private room. Or say right. you have a group messaging app. You know, it makes sense to be able to say like, oh, let's take this offline and have like a private conversation with people. Right. So to me, this stuff does fit together. And it's like, oh, well, do you want to have a public conversation? Do you have a semi-public conversation with a group of people? Or do you want to have a private conversation with, you know, a group of people or a single person? Right. right. So that, yeah, that makes sense. It all kind of ties together to me. Yeah, it does make some sense. All right. Yeah. That that was definitely a misconception that I gapped. So I'm glad you cleared that up for me. Yeah. I mean, you could check out Pat. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on that you just that you don't see on the outside. And I mean, I would do this thought experiment. How many um tweets or Facebook status messages are posted per day versus how many SMS messages slash WhatsApp, you know, kick, da 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 da. Like how many of those do you yeah. think per day? Like there's so much more activity activity that happens on the internet that is not um public. Um and that like it's easy to forget that that's you know the internet. All sorts of non-technical people use the heck out of those apps, right? <laughs> and we like forget about that because we don't see it. And we just focus on like people that do stuff in public. So it's important to remember what a high percentage of internet usage is. Like think about it, like even in your life or in my life, like we use email, we use SMS, we use group messaging. And the number of things that I post that are public is probably one one hundredth of the total amount of digital information that I, that I, that I transfer in a day, right? It's just a tiny little piece of it. Hmm. Wow. So the sky's the definitely the limit, man. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm glad we had this conversation too, because it certainly clarified a lot of things for me. That's you know, honestly, that's one of the things I love about being the host of the show is, is I get to have these talks with founders. I mean, that's where the name came from was Founders Talk. You know, people that come on the show and talk about what they're doing. This has been very enlightening for me. But sure. um two two questions I want to close with. Um first question is uh who's your Who's a who is your founder hero and why? Good question. I mean I think the ones that I like are the ones that are like not flashy and that like stayed with it when things weren't cool and were able to to pull off something big. I mean like like I know Aaron Levy pretty cool pretty well and he's I like Aaron Levy because he's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way that's endearing. Like now that he's like the big time famous guy that he is, he has the same like quirky personality. Like, like I don't feel like he's changed at all. Do you know what I'm trying to say? That yeah. like, like seeing people before, like I met Aaron Levy like a few months after he dropped out of USC. He's probably like 20, right? Like, and watching him go from, you know, this crazy kid, I don't know, like I don't know if you ever met the guy or or like seen him speak, but he's got he's got a thing, right? He's got he speaks really fast and he, he I don't know, it's hard to describe. But to see him go from that twenty year old kid to like now, like I don't even know what how many employees he has or you know, Box is like taking on uh Oracle now, um and to remain the same and to not put on airs and like remember who his friends are, I think is is pretty cool. Right. And to be yeah. able to admit weakness and admit challenges that he's made. So I have a lot of respect for him. I have a lot of respect for Drew at Dropbox for the same reason. Right. Like Drew's still responds to emails. If you email him, he like it's 
he's the same guy that I met before um, they were big. And so like, again, like if I just think about the people that are my heroes that I've seen um, that I have the most respect for, it's people that when everyone else was getting a lot of press or getting a lot of ink for how great their startup was or like going to a lot of conferences or doing all this vanity stuff, they were like behind the scenes building a real business and to see them get success after years and years and years of like people of, of not getting uh, attention for what they were doing or doing something that wasn't seen as glamorous or seeing something that was seen as a slog and then to go on and be successful. That, that to me is really cool. Right. Same with the Airbnb guys, right? Like that was not, that was not a cool startup for a few years, right? In any, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. So, so in summary, I think it's, it's the people that did slogs and it, they spent the five years, they spent the 10 years building the business and uh, they came out the other side with something that was really substantial and that has a lot more permanence than some of the flash in the pan stuff that gets really hot and then, you don't, and then all of a sudden it, you know, it's not around anymore, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, because Drew could have, he could have, in that conversation with Steve Jobs, he could have said, sure, buy us. Yep. You know, he could have bailed out, but instead he kept his- He could have bailed uh, out more than two, right? There's any yeah. number of times he could have bailed out, and there's and it was a slog, right? Like, he wasn't the fan, like, people would forget companies like that existed. Like, in the 07, 08 era, era all the hot stuff was like, you know, Bebo and <laughs> remember them and like MySpace. Yeah. And like, it was all like really shiny stuff. And the guys doing storage- they weren't seen as that wasn't seen as cool. That wasn't seen as um, useful, right? Like that was, you know, the, it's it's just funny to see the cycles happen enough times where the stuff that's overhyped rarely is the stuff that actually gets to be big. <laughs> you know, that's true. So, I guess that was a bit long winded. I didn't name a single person, but there's there's a lot of people and there's a lot of unsung heroes that I didn't. No, there's name no there's no rhythm that, to it. You know, there's there's a lot of unsung heroes that I've gotten exposed to that aren't you've never heard of or their businesses aren't famous, but they, they build something cool after years and years of grinding something out. And you got to, and you got to respect that man. You got to, absolutely. you know, yeah. like I, you know, yeah. the, the point of that question isn't, um, isn't really to get you to, you know, give somebody else a, you know, a pat on the back or, you know, call out somebody famous. It's more so to, to potentially, um, share with the listeners and even myself, Someone we may not have heard of that has been uh, an, very impactful to you in your career and what you've been up to, uh, and obviously they're a hero to you. So that that sometimes helps us find and become aware of people we never even heard of, which is always cool. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know if I know anyone that's out here. Like the people that are people you hadn't heard of, I'd have to think about. Um, they aren't in the valley. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, and I know some people in green tech that are really interesting too. And that stuff is all slogs, right? That's like uh, most of the, most of the things worth doing are a slog. They're not, they're not going to be fun. They're not going to be sexy. It's just going to be a slog. <laughs> I like yeah. the way you say that. <laughs> oh yeah. Someone's got to do it, right? Like somebody s- slogs are important. Someone's I mean, got, you got to have money involved. I mean, it just doesn't mean it's going to be the sexiest business ever. Well, yeah, you just, you got to have vision. You got to be willing to put in years to something that's a slog. You can't just expect, oh, we launched and we're successful. Hooray, right? Like that is not most, that is not what a slog looks like. That is true. So uh, the the last question we ask is, uh, you know, what's upcoming for you for app.net, what you guys are up to, 
anything that the that is not known today that you can announce here on the show today? So I rack my brain on that one because what's tough is that we're so transparent with our roadmap. I don't have anything like like when we do our official podcast, we actually tell people what's on our roadmap. Isn't that funny? Isn't that weird? Nice. Uh, we're like, okay, here's what we're building. Here's what here's the order that we're thinking of building things. What do you guys think? Right. Um, so look, we we're building a streaming API. We're doing a major revision of the iOS passport application based on developer feedback. Um, it'll be the first major revision to it. Um, we're working on the find friends features, which are just terrible right now <laughs> for the service. Like it's really hard to find people that you already know that also have accounts. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's just, yeah. it's not good. We, we have a lot of work to do on that. Um, and then this weekend for WWDC, we're having a hackathon. So pretty much every, a lot of the more prominent developers in our ecosystem are going to be in person in San Francisco on Saturday. And so we've done one of them before and it's really great to meet everybody. Um, so that's coming and I'm sure a couple of crazy things will come out of that. Um, what do you think, do I have anything else crazy? I mean, like I said, I honestly, I've told the, like we're very transparent with what our roadmap is and what the next three API features are. So I don't have any like amazing exclusive for you. No, that's cool. That's Sadly. good. <laughs> this is that again, that question even is, uh, is not meant to like, Ooh, exclusive. It's just more like if people they're, they're aware of what you guys are doing, but they're not aware of like what you're doing right this moment. That's, that's really what that one's about. And sometimes you get, you know, something, uh, somebody comes on the show and they announce something brand new that has not been discussed anywhere else. And that's cool. Sure. Yeah. Not required. Well, Dalton, it's definitely been having, uh, it's definitely been fun having you back on this part too. I, thanks for making the time to come back again. I know you were just on the show a couple weeks ago, um, but I, I didn't get to have this conversation with you in that. And that uh, I think was an hour and some change on that call, but e- even the time, thank you so much for taking this much time out of your life to have a chat with me on this show and the listeners of the show. I'm certainly, I'm sure they certainly appreciate uh, you doing that. So, um, for those who are listening, you can tune in live uh, like you do today if you're listening live or if not, if you're, if you're listening on the podcast feed, you can listen live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, right here on 5 by 5 That's 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. Next week's guest is Drew Stroney. And as you know, this week's guest was Dalton Caldwell. So Dalton, let's, uh, let's uh, call this one a done show. So- sounds great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It was great. It was great talking through all this stuff. Absolutely, man. 